Remember back in 2020 when no one was leaving the house and everyone who could afford to was ordering their groceries online? Well, that was Instacart's moment. Use of the online grocery delivery app soared, and a lot of people thought it would never end. Investors thought that the pandemic growth that a lot of these uh, online companies were experiencing was going to last forever. This was a fundamental change to consumer behavior. You know, this accelerated five years of tech growth. That's what a lot of them believed. And we've seen this over and over and over with these quote-unquote pandemic winners uh, like, you know, Zoom or Etsy or Peloton. Um, That growth comes down almost as fast as it, as it spiked when people get back out there in the world and resume to the kinds of behaviors that they did before the pandemic. And so Instacart experienced that as well. That's Erin Griffith, who reports on tech startups and venture capital for The New York Times. She's been covering Instacart on the lead up to their IPO. The company's been on a bit of a roller coaster since 2020. They had to evolve. After the pandemic, they saw their sales sort of drop a little bit and they expanded into a few other lines of business. So in addition to just doing that same thing of delivering your groceries to you at the like through your through a mobile app, they also are serving you ads. And they are also making software that they sell to grocery stores to help them manage their inventory better. Somehow this led to the company doing something that a lot of its so-called gig economy peers haven't pulled off. In the first half of the year, Instacart turned a profit of about $242 million. And then this week, they actually went public. So the fact that they went public at all is a victory because mm-hmm. it has the IPO market has been in a real slump for the last almost two years. There's been no IPOs of note until last week when Arm Holdings went public. Uh, That was a spinoff of SoftBank and that one did fairly well. So that got people a little bit hopeful that more IPOs will be around the corner. No one wants to be first when the IPO window appears to be closed and investors are no longer interested in hot, fast-growing, cash-burning tech stocks. But um, yeah, that might be changing. Instacart's debut on the NASDAQ under the ticker symbol CART. That's cute, right? It was decent enough. The day the stock went public, it popped, jumping 40% higher than the initial offering price of $30. But since then, it's come back down to earth. And as of early Friday afternoon, the stock price was back to about where it started. Not a great sign. The issue is that price is still not that good. The fact that they went public at all is like actually, you know, they they pulled it off at least. They managed to do it. And a lot of other companies, I think, would not be able to go public right now. So today on the show, how Instacart managed to snatch victory from the um, supermarket of defeat and what this means for tech startups struggling to make it in a post-pandemic landscape. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. have been trying to break into the grocery business for a long time. In the late 90s, a company called Webvan got a lot of attention. You have the right to be in your house when a delivery is made. The right to open your front door and be met by a friendly face. And the right to have someone else unpack your groceries. 
You have the right to the good stuff. Brought to you by Webvan. They wound up filing for bankruptcy in 2001 after the first dot-com bubble burst. Amazon has famously been going after the grocery market for years. When they bought Whole Foods in 2017 for $14 billion, it was supposed to be the moment that tech finally shook up the supermarket business. It wasn't. Groceries might seem like a weird market for tech companies to obsess over. Milk, bread, and eggs are hardly cutting-edge products. But according to Aaron, there's a simple explanation. Tech companies love a huge market. You know, a trillion-dollar TAM, um, which is total addressable market. They love the idea of like, oh, if we could just own 1% of this market. And groceries is an enormous market. The problem with it is that it's extremely low margin. It's really hard to make money. I mean, grocers struggle to to turn a profit as well. But yeah, everyone has to eat. It's a a really big... you know, repeat purchase thing that every household does. Um, And so why wouldn't it adapt to the on-demand economy? The difference between Instacart and perhaps Webban and some of the other attempts, the early attempts that blew up is that they don't own their own inventory. And that's sort of the beauty in general of the gig economy model is that they don't have to, you know, have warehouses full of groceries that are rotting. They just, they're kind of like a middle man that owns the app and owns the workers who go into the grocery stores, get the, you know, so they're almost like a service provider and they have to uh, keep the grocers happy and make them feel that they're not competing directly with them. And they have to, um, you know, keep their costs low enough that customers think it's worth the, the fees to, to get that convenience, get their groceries delivered. So that they kind of bopped along and then the pandemic hits and their business kind of takes off basically. Yeah. They're, I mean, if you look sort of at their, I mean, their business, I, I want to say it grew like fourfold maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in 2020, it was just, yeah, no one was going to the grocery store. Everyone was trying to get everything delivered. Um, that didn't last that long. You know, once we all started leaving the house, uh, even, even before the vaccines, people were at least kind of starting to return to the grocery store, maybe not as frequently, but they would wear masks. Um, and so, and then by, by the next year, their business kind of fell off a cliff a little bit. It wasn't that it was flat. It was like, it was actually dropping. And if you're a high growth tech startup, that is kind of like death. You know, your whole story is that we're growing and growing and growing and there's nothing but upside. And so if your growth is flat or or shrinking, you need to figure out how to turn a profit. All this led to turmoil at the company. Instacart founder and CEO, Apoorva Mehta, was forced out by Instacart's board of directors in 2021. You know, the founder, Apoorva Mehta, um, called up his competitors and kind of tried to see if maybe they're interested in buying the company. He talked to Uber, he talked to DoorDash. Uh, The board was not super happy about that. It was, you know, maybe a little bit of a kind of reckless move or perhaps uh, seemed erratic. And he eventually uh, stepped down from the company and they brought in uh, Fiji Simo uh, to replace him as CEO. Um, She was a longtime exec at Facebook. She ran the Blue app. Um, she obviously is very well-versed in the advertising industry and she kind of went on this 
uh, tour, uh, meeting with grocers, trying to get them comfortable with her and, you know, their partnership, trying to strengthen that partnership with them because she knew obviously how important it is to make sure that these grocery chains welcome Instacart and their shoppers into their stores and let people order (laughs) from them um, through Instacart's app. So yeah, there was a little bit of a rocky moment where this company that had been created by one person and grown up till this point had to kind of switch gears um, to to new leadership. So it was Fiji Simo who sort of pushed the advertising part of the business forward? Yeah, that that had been in the works. But um, you really start to see the growth of it. Um, I think after, like the, the product had been building, and and they had ha- always had that plan. But um, in the and you can kind of look at their revenue and see that it is it it really started taking off and being a more meaningful part of their overall sales. You know, in over the last uh, year year and a half. This focus on advertising is a big reason why Instacart was one of the few gig economy companies to actually turn a profit. Nearly a third of its $2.5 billion in revenue last year came from its ads and software division. That's according to the company's filings to go public. Sounds like a great diversification plan, right? There's a catch. It's sort of a challenge because if you don't have any customers that are shopping in the app, you can't show them any ads, right? Yeah. So you, you, these businesses need each other, but you don't want to turn people off. Like if you search for milk and you only saw almond milk, you might think, oh, they don't have regular milk. Yeah. Um, and so so you ha- you there is a little bit of a balance of like how many ads they can show and um, how much, you know, money. I think they're kind of testing the boundaries of like, okay, how much can we be advertising to these people where it's still seen as helpful and not annoying or distracting or even like turning people off. And that's, I think, a challenge for them because if they do that, then it's like kind of a downward spiral. People leave the app, there's no one to advertise to. So yeah, yeah it's kind of like this, the, the the core of the business is still the delivery thing, but they've got this sort of like layer on top of, of ads that helps them to actually turn a profit. And are they doing anything with all the data they're getting from all their customers? I think about this every time I... I Every time I go food shopping, they ask me like, do you have a phone number with us? And I just mindlessly put my phone number in because I don't want to offend the cashier. I know it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and then nothing happens. I don't get any discounts. And I think, oh, I've just told them that once again, I'm buying bananas or Gatorade or whatever it is. Like they know so much about me. What am I doing? Is this, is it, what are they doing with the information? Anything? Um, it seems like another area where they can make money. Yeah. It's, I, I kind of agree with you on that. I, I don't, I hate when I sort of see Amazon's accounting of like everything I bought at a Whole Foods or, (laughs) you know, I just, I don't necessarily (laughs) want that record. Like I don't need to see it and and I don't. And and now I know that it's, you know, you being quote unquote used against me (laughs) to uh, get me to get me to buy more things or at least just people know my, my habits. Yeah. I don't love that necessarily anyway. I mean, that is sort of the world we live in though, where we trade convenience for surveillance. And uh, yeah, that's I guess another example of that, but sure. Yeah. If you've bought, um, you know, bananas once a week, every week, like they could in theory send you a push notification being like, need some bananas, or they could in (laughs) theory, you know, be serving that up to you. Like, here's your last um, order. So like, yeah, there is a lot of kind of optimization that 
can be done there. And obviously, Facebook is the king of that. You know, when you see the most hyper-relevant ads in the world on Instagram that um, could only be tailored to you, um, you know, yeah. they, that, they, they kind of um, invented that in a way. So yeah, it makes sense that they'll be trying to, to capitalize on, on that. And, um, and all the deals they've done, all the goodwill with the, the grocers, the, the Kroger's, what's to stop those companies from just doing their own delivery business and cutting out Instacart? Is that like an existential threat for them at some point? I think the bet is that these companies, you know, don't have that tech DNA. They obviously, every te- every company is a tech company to some extent now and they have to integrate and they have to have their own systems, but this is a way for them to not have to to deal with that. You know, there was right. the era when every every media company was trying to build their own CMS because they thought they could, you know, <laughs> make it custom to what they needed and 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 not have to pay some provider to do it for them. And that ended up just being a huge boondoggle and waste of time and money. And it was easier to outsource that to a company that has more expertise on that. So, you know, I don't know. I think that's probably the the Faustian bargain that a lot of these grocers are making with, uh, with a company like Instacart. When we come back, what happens when Instacart doesn't just need to keep its customers happy, but Wall Street too? What do you think are the challenges now? What are you watching now that the company is public? Well, investors obviously care about profitability. And the company has shown that they can be profitable. Um, They had a whole profitable year last year. I mean, Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash have not pulled that off. So that's great. And they're going to have to keep that up. But the, the, the other question then is just the growth. Like now everyone has tried Instacart or tried online grocery and and some and a lot of people have gone back to the old way of getting it themselves. And so can they lure those people back? Can they find new users? Can they find new partners? That that's actually the challenge and it's kind of the a backward way to look at what should be considered a quote unquote growth stock. They are technically a startup that just went public that should be on the beginning of their journey. They've been around mm. for 12 years. They are profitable. And, you know, are they a value stock? Like not really because there's, there's still a lot of potential there. And I think, so they're selling that, that message of, they're selling a message that they kind of turned it around post pandemic, that they are actually turning a profit. And then they have all these new avenues into the grocery industry that are not just their core delivery business. They're growing by selling software. They're growing by selling ads. Um, So I guess that's kind of what, we're looking for, but the grocery business in general is like um, notoriously low margin and and difficult. So um, they're never going to be, I think, one of those like exciting, like oh, what what amazing, um, like flashy new technology right. are they rolling out? Kind of companies, but um, you know they're going to kind of like plug away and hopefully become um, an. <laughs> pillar of the grocery industry. That's what they hope, at least. Is there any lesson here for the other gig economy companies or the other pandemic boom companies? Like, could they pull off similar profitability shifts? It's interesting because Uber and Lyft have tried ads, um, 
they, you know, you're waiting for your Uber and you're looking down at your phone constantly to see where it is. And they're throwing you an ad, which I think users probably find very annoying. Um, and they can, you know, restaurants can buy ads and Uber Eats, for example, but they don't have those relationships with the companies that Instacart has where, you know, a company like the companies like PepsiCo have enormous advertising budgets and Instacart is getting them at the checkout counter essentially. So that is a pretty valuable lever that Instacart has that some of the other gig economy companies don't. Um, and for the rest of the gig economy industry, like there's not a lot left, you know, there's been a huge shakeout of a lot of these companies. They like, you know, Postmates sold, uh, Grubhub sold. There, there has been mega consolidation and a lot of companies have kind of just like failed or, or, or not lived up to their, their promise and their valuation. So there's like kind of only a handful left standing there. And then on the pandemic boom, I mean, yeah, that's just kind of a lesson that's continuing to play out. Um, the, the lesson being that like, uh, a kind of once in a lifetime behavioral change of all of society happening at once is not necessarily going to last forever. Yeah. <laughs> Next time that happens in this lifetime, uh, that we can, we can keep that lesson. Uh, I mean, I think maybe one of the lessons uh, to take away uh, from the, the madness of that moment was that, in the first few weeks of the pandemic, everybody freaked out like, oh my God, the economy is in a free fall. Everyone sure. was laying off. Everyone was cutting. And, you know, it only took like three months or so for tech to realize, oh, actually we are winners. We are, this is good for us. And holy crap, we need to put our foot on the gas. And I, I think that that sort of like fake out actually gave a lot of companies a false sense of security um, because it's like, oh my God, we had this like near-death experience and it's actually good for us. So we should, and Mm -hmm. so I think there's an instinct amongst some CEOs and founders to like when the entire world panics because things are going badly to like suddenly put their foot on the gas and be like, nope, this is good for us. And that uh, is not always the case. (laughs) I think sometimes, you know, for example, this kind of like slow and steady downturn we've been experiencing with inflation and high interest rates and um, like just sort of general like uh, stock market slump has actual like pretty serious implications and that the tech industry is kind of in a, in a downturn. And there have been some founders who have been a little bit in denial because they're like, no, 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 it'll bounce back. It was good for us. And that's, uh, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, the Nasdaq's doing pretty well this year. It's true, but not, um, not, a, lot of the, not a lot of the money losing tech companies have, have been riding that wave. There's a lot of companies that went public in that boom that are that are doing very, very badly in like my sort of like small cap uh, world. So is the gig economy kind of over now? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, no, but it's like similar to if you think about e-commerce as like a problem that is has been solved. Um, I think the gig economy has been solved. Like there, there aren't going to, I don't, I'm not. I can be wrong. I'm often wrong. I'm just, I'm not an investor. I'm just a journalist who's observing from afar, but I, I don't think we're going to see a new gig economy company springing up. Like we've got like DoorDash, the ones that exist like DoorDash and Uber, um, you know, they are expanding into more and more areas. Like we're not, we've tried it all, you know, like back in 2013, 2014, there was an on-demand company for everything. Like there was literally an on-demand Butler company. 
like you could get like an on-demand lawyer at like the tap of a button and like those those things have shaken out <laughs> to you know some of them are, are are fine businesses but they're very small um maybe not billion dollar businesses some of them um you know, could never make the model work and some of them are plugging along but like i don't i don't think we're gonna see like new ideas coming to that category it's been sort of like the cycle has like played out so ipos after not happening for 18 months or something, they're finally happening again. You mentioned Arm, the the, the British, the UK chip designer. Um, there was Instacart. And Clavio, as we're speaking, is is going public. Is this a sign that the market's back for tech companies, that people believe in them again, that investors believe in them again? I think that there have been a lot of companies on the sidelines that have been wanting to go and they kind of missed the window, um, you know, and have just been like keeping their their S1 filing warm <laughs> for the moment <laughs> for the window to just crack and then they're going to kind of like kick it open. There's a, a number of companies that are ready and want to go and will probably try to rush out before the end of this year having seen these companies go out and do okay. I think it, the, the thing that these three companies have in uh, common is that they're all profitable and that's what investors want. They don't want like, you know, in 2021, like, there were a, a lot of companies that had literally $0 of revenue that went public um, via SPAC. So like, we're never going to see that. But there are a number of companies that are ready and that are like, you know, good, solid companies um, that that I think will try to go. And then next year, you know, I think it remains to be seen if we're going to start seeing like a lot of companies to go to go public because again there's that profitability thing and like so many of the companies um that are valued at a billion dollars or more are are far from turning a profit and that is i think going to be a get a chillier reception from investors so like i, I think things are like starting to open back up but i don't anticipate we're going to see like this crazy this crazy flood the real thing is going to be if these companies actually need to raise the money because so many companies raised private capital in 2021 when it was just flowing like crazy. And then they saw that the market had turned in 2022 and they laid off staff to buy themselves some runway. And now they're starting to get toward the end of that runway and they're going to have to make some decisions. Like, do we sell? Do we, like, can we, can we raise more money? If we can't, then maybe we should look at selling. Um, are we, are we able to go public? You know, that, that is the sort of like ideal situation, but, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it shakes out next year. Aaron, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Aaron Griffith covers tech startups and venture capital for the New York times. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Patrick Fort. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back next week with new episodes. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary. And you can catch me on Slate Money every Saturday. We actually have an episode out today all about the perils of facial recognition that I think you all might like. Thanks for listening.